All right. Well, it's good to see you all. What a wonderful morning of worship. I would invite you to take your copy of the Lord's Word and turn to Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 12 through chapter 2, verse 1. Habakkuk 1, verses 12 through chapter 2 and verse 1. We've been in this series now for a few weeks, and last week we talked about the God box and how the way Habakkuk is broken down, Habakkuk is a prophet of God. Remember the kind of prophet he is, is not one that's speaking to the people on God's behalf, but rather he's one who is having a conversation with God based on what his people are experiencing. And in chapters 1, verses 1 through 4, it opens with a complaint. Habakkuk's complaint, he is the complaining prophet of the Old Testament, where he is saying, God, why are things so bad in Judah? Why have things gotten so difficult? Why are people so unjust? Why is it seeming that wickedness is going unpunished in my kingdom, the kingdom of Judah? Won't you just do something about this? The righteous are being persecuted. And God responds. And last week we looked at that where God responded by saying, oh, I'm doing something about it. Not I'm going to do something about it, but Habakkuk, I'm already doing something about it. And even now, the Babylonians, the Chaldeans are on their way to bring judgment upon the people of Judah. And that was not at all what Habakkuk was thinking. Habakkuk had a God box. You have a God box. I have a God box. The God box is this, is our way of thinking we know and understand how God works. And then, I mean, we've got theology there and stuff like that. We talked last week that, yeah, we all have God boxes, but you better leave the lid off because if not, God will blow the lid because you cannot fit all of God's ways into some neatly organized structure that's not a... It's, recommendation or an encouragement to not exercise good theology and have principles of understanding who God is no of course not we should have those things but realizing that you can't get God encapsulated in a safe place where he can be understood and Habakkuk's God box got blown up last week when he learns that God is sending the Babylonians this wicked people to come and judge the people in Judah. So this week, we're dealing with part two of the God box. It's what do you do after your God box breaks? Our main statement is this, is that when our God box breaks, we pick up the pieces. And how do you pick up the pieces? What do you do when life falls apart, something happened that's inexplicable, and you cannot theologically get wraps around what is going on and explain God's seeming silence or action. There's no way to explain what God is doing. What do you do when your God box falls apart? Well, you know what Habakkuk does? He issues his second complaint towards God. So what does Habakkuk do when his God box falls apart? Well, he complains again. So that's what we see here beginning in chapter 2. Uh, or excuse me, in beginning in chapter 1, verse 12. It says, this is Habakkuk's second complaint, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, the, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for repro reproof. 
you who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong? Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook and he drags them out with his net. He gathers them with his dragnet. So he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watchpost and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and I will answer concerning my complaint. Now, what in the world does that all mean? Well, it is poetic language for this. God, you're sending the Babylonians to punish Judah? God, don't you know that the Babylonians, they're the most wicked people on the face of the earth? They swallow up whole cities and nations with their power and their violence and their anger? They're like a dragnet and the peoples of the earth are like fish and they just go swooping up fish like a fisherman does with his dragnet. That's what Babylon does, God. Like, you're going to use them to punish Judah? They're so much worse. This is Habakkuk's complaint. So, here, let's talk about this this morning. When our God box breaks, we pick up the pieces. Because maybe it's not a moment for you of thinking about national judgment and explaining what God is doing in the case of Judah's case, in the sense of the kingdom of Judah. Maybe it's, God, what are you doing in my life? What are you doing in my child's life? What are you doing in my family, my job? What's going on with my health? God, why is this happening? Why is this bad, evil thing happening and you seemingly are causing it? I'm struggling to understand why, why you are doing this. Principle number one is Habakkuk's complaints are evidence that it is healthy to bring honest questions and objections to God. Habakkuk's complaints are evidence that it is healthy to bring honest questions and objections to God. Now, we need to talk about this so you know what I'm saying and you know what I am not saying. Not all complaining is wrong. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But before I do that, I want to talk about just how we do life here. Especially in like a, the American South. The way you do life here is there is a level of faking it. Here's what I mean. Is that we play this game of pretend that everything is okay. And in fact... When somebody loses their ability to pretend everything is okay and then starts to complain, what do we do? We go, oh, that's too hot to handle. Shh, no, stop. You need to start playing pretend again, sister. You need to start playing pretend again, my man. Listen, that we, we can't be messing with the equilibrium of normal human life experience. Listen, keep it under control. Just 
fake it. Fake it like everything's okay. Fake it like even though you have these massive questions that say, my God, my God, why are you not doing this? Instead, just fake it and just pretend that everything is okay. And unfortunately, that's the way we live our lives. Thinking it's wrong to ask questions and just faking it. Uh, I heard about a lady that she's having surgery and while she was having surgery, uh, she had an out-of-body experience, floated up above the operation table, and then went up into heaven and stood before God. And she said, God, am I dead? And he said, no, not yet. And she said, oh my goodness, well, how much longer do I have to live? He said, well, 42 years. She said, 42 years? Oh my goodness. Well, she came, went back into her body and then went on about her, her life, and she's like, gosh, I've got 42 you know, years to live. I, I need to make some changes. She went and got you know, plastic surgery, hair extensions. Like she like complete, bought a new car and did all of this stuff, completely redid everything, got a whole mommy makeover, life makeover, everything. And then two weeks later, she was crossing a crosswalk, got run over and died. And she was standing before God again. And she said, I thought you said, God, that I had 42 years to live. He said, ma'am, I'm going to be honest. I just didn't recognize you. Right? It's, we, we have this thing that the only way we can experience normal Christian life is we have to fake it to make it. We have to construct an image in order to be acceptable. And if you ask questions that are too hot, you'll be, no, you don't, you don't, you don't ask those kinds of questions. Because for whatever reason in America, it's wrong in the eyes of some, especially in the eyes of some Christians, to complain. And if you're complaining, that's just because you don't trust God's sovereignty. You need to just trust God a little more and get over yourself, you glory-seeking, selfish person. Well, let's talk about that. Jesus prayed in Gethsemane. Father, if there is any other way, if Jesus is allowed to complain about the cross, it can't be sin to complain. Habakkuk is complaining, and his complaints are real. Lord, is this the way it's going to be? We need to differentiate when it comes to complaining, because there's two different kinds of complaining, one of which the Scripture says is incredibly bad and dangerous, and then the other is something different. First of all, there's complaining from a place of hurt. And this is where Habakkuk is coming from. But then there's complaining from a place of selfishness, grumbling. Think children of Israel in the wilderness. God, you just brought us out here to kill us. Those kinds of complaints are rooted in unbelief. But Habakkuk is not a complaining unbeliever. Habakkuk is a believing complainer. His complaints come from a deep place. Listen, honest questions and objections are not driven by unbelief. They are driven by belief. The reason Habakkuk is complaining is not because he doesn't believe in God's sovereignty. It's because he does. The reason it's painful is not because he doesn't think God can do something about it it's because he know God can and his God box is breaking so he's complaining and he's saying God this hurts me 
That is an appropriate complaint. The other, grumbling, of course it's wrong. But honest questions and objections are not driven by unbelief, they're driven by belief. I love the story of Abraham in Genesis chapter 18, verses 22 through 26, which says this, talking about Abraham interceding for the men and the women of Sodom. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you, talking to God, indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked? Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? This is Abraham working out his God box. God, you can't do this this way because aren't you going to be just and the lord said if i find at sodom 50 righteous in the city i will spare the whole place for their sake what are we learning it's okay to ask god questions honest questions and objections are not driven by unbelief they're driven by belief also honest questions and objections are not driven by anger They are driven by lament. Biblical commentators actually say Habakkuk's book is a lamentation. Habakkuk is lamenting what is going on, and lament is very different. Grumbling arises out of selfishness. Lament rises out of hurt. And if you cannot differentiate between the two you will hurt people when they come to you for counsel like when a person says why did God let my baby die why did God allow my marriage to end why did God allow me to get sick and if your response is it's not about you It's about God and His glory. What you're saying to them is stop being selfish. But that complaint, that's the response you give to a grumbler, not a hurt person. Someone who is hurting, it comes from a completely different place from someone who is simply selfish. You want to know what lament looks like? Read the book of Lamentations. The book of Jeremiah. Following Jeremiah are the Lamentations of Jeremiah that after the stuff that Jeremiah said would happen, happened. He laments at the destruction. It breaks his heart. It comes from a place of pain. And by the way, one other thing, personal practical application for all of us. If you do not know how to differentiate between the two types of complaining, you will run completely over other people because your spouse will complain to you or your children will complain to you or your coworkers will complain to you or your friends will complain to you and if you treat all complaints the same you will hurt people and you will be a narcissistic fool 
you have to be able to differentiate. I have to be able to differentiate what is coming from a place of hurt and what is coming from a place of selfishness. And if you assume that all complaining is just selfishness, you will hurt everyone around you and you are on a fast track to being alone because you will have burned every bridge in your life. We have to be able to differentiate between the two. If Jesus complained of Gethsemane, if Habakkuk complains to God about what is going on, complaining cannot be sinful. When it arises from a place of pain, it's very different from arising from a place of selfishness. Honest questions and objections are not driven by anger. They are driven by lament. And lament comes from a place of pain. And also, honest questions and objections are not driven by indifference. They are driven by love. Habakkuk is not complaining because he doesn't care. He's complaining because he does. It's okay to be honest with God. The worst person that you can lie to is yourself and God. You be honest with God and let him know when you're struggling to fit the pieces together. He can hear that lament. Principle number two. Habakkuk begins his honest question and objection with what he knows. He's like, okay, all right, Brother Matt, you're saying I can complain to God. Well, how do I do that? Well, that's what Habakkuk does. He helps us understand this is what complaining to God looks like. Look in verse number 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? He helps us understand how to complain. Habakkuk begins his complaint with what he knows. Notice he says, you are the God of yesterday's blessing. It says, are you not from everlasting? Kenneth Barker, um, he has a commentary on Habakkuk. He writes this, and this was helpful to me because I didn't understand the Hebrew in this way until reading his stuff. Uh, Habakkuk questions, Habakkuk's question fits the use of the covenant name for God. The Lord is not a Johnny-come-lately God. He is from everlasting. The Lord has always been God. The Hebrew term for everlasting focuses particularly on God's past acts in Israel's salvation history. So when we see the question, are you not from everlasting? Here's what Habakkuk is saying. It's focusing on what God has done in previous times in Israel. It doesn't mean are you not eternal. Of course God is eternal, but that's not what the language means here, according to Dr. Barker. He's pointing out that the, are you not from everlasting, that Habakkuk is saying, God, didn't you bless us in the past? We're only a nation because you made us a nation. God, why would you bless us just to take that blessing away? I remember some years ago having a young mother come visit me at the church office who had lost her baby in the womb. It was far along. And she said, why would God allow me to get pregnant in the first place? If he knew, I was just going to lose it. 
This is Habakkuk's complaint. Aren't you the God of yesterday's blessings? Like, why even let it happen? Why even let me taste the sweetness of what's good? Only to snatch it away. Like, Whoa, that's an intense complaint. Habakkuk says it. This is the complaint that he has. But not only that, not only are you the God of yesterday's blessings, notice what he says also in verse 12. Oh, Lord, that's capital L-O-R-D. This is the covenant name of God. This is Yahweh. Or as we say in English, Jehovah. In fact, nobody even knows how to say the name because Jews never actually said the name out loud because they revered it as so holy. But he writes it here as the most holy name of God. This is the name that Abraham didn't even know. This is the name that God spoke from the burning bush to Moses. This is the covenant, sacred name of God. And Habakkuk invokes that name and says, aren't you the God of the burning bush? Aren't you the God of the Red Sea? Why aren't our bushes burning? Why aren't our seas parting? Did you do all of that now just to stand idle in our time of need? I'm not saying this. Habakkuk is. This is Habakkuk's complaint. And apparently, it's acceptable. But not only that, Habakkuk also begins his complaint not with what he just knows, not looking at yesterday's blessing and God's promises from yesterday, but he also looks at God's holiness, what he knows of God's holiness. Look in verse 12 as well. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Habakkuk is probably thinking, Lord, you strike people dead for walking into the holy place because you can't stand evil, yet you are going to use Babylon as your servant? How is that consistent? If you cannot look upon evil, your eyes are so pure. God, I'm struggling to see and understand. How could you use Babylon? Because they are the worst people on the earth. They abuse people. They swallow up nations. They treat all the peoples of the earth like fish and then pull a dragnet and scoop them up and then enjoy their spoil. And then they worship their nets and their power and their might for being able to do it and then look for the next people to destroy. Is that who you're going to use to discipline Judah? He's saying, listen, I mean, we're bad, but we're not that bad. Why? I mean, why, Lord? I I know I need to learn. I need to be more conformed to the image of Christ. But why let that happen to me? That's too hard. That's too intense. Habakkuk's question is, how could you possibly choose to use bad over good? Like, for instance, God, why not to deal with the evil in Judah? Why not just send us revival? That'd be way easier. Everybody just gets right with you right why judgment or how could you possibly discipline a bad people with worse people that doesn't make sense to me 
Why not use a good people or a better people to punish a bad people? Don't use the worst people on the face of the earth, the most violent, the most selfish and abusive people in the world. Why would you use them, Lord God? I thought your eyes were too holy to even look on such a thing. Or, God, and here's the other one, the commentator pointed this out. Verse 14, you made mankind like the fish of the sea like crawling things that have no ruler. He's saying, God, you made us fish. And you knew Babylon had a dragnet. It's almost like you're setting us up to be their victim. This is what the commentator pointed out this week when I looked at it. God, how is that holy? How is that set apart? And he's looking at the, this mess that he sees before him and trying to make sense of God why are you doing it this way I don't understand and it brings into the final thing what does Habakkuk do about it Habakkuk doesn't answer his own question he waits on an answer look in chapter 2 and verse 1 I wish or excuse me I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. In the first service that occurred to me, this reminded me of a psalm, Psalm 130. And I just want to read you the psalm real fast. It says, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. He says it twice. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So Habakkuk has this huge objection to what God is doing, and he's trying to pick up the pieces. And what does he do? He doesn't answer his own question he waits on god to give him an answer so a couple things jeremiah and habakkuk are a major contrast to each other because jeremiah weeps over judah judah but when judah doesn't get right god says all right quit crying just preach judgment and i'm going to deal with it well Jeremiah starts preaching judgment and it's, you know, we don't really get any kind of emotion from Jeremiah again until after destruction when he laments and writes lamentations. Jeremiah comes to a place where he's like, okay, God, this is your plan. You're going to use Babylon. Habakkuk's just not there. He's like, Babylon? What? God, are you serious? And both are in the Bible. Both are in the Bible. Compare Jeremiah 27 to Habakkuk 1 in your own time. Jeremiah 27, Habakkuk has reached a place where he realized this is what God is going to do and God's in control. Habakkuk 1, God is telling Habakkuk what God is going to do and Habakkuk's not there yet. 
And the point of this message today is to say, it's okay to not be there yet. Because when some things happen, they are so inexplicably bad and awful, just a cute little quote for a sticker on the refrigerator that just says, just trust God. is not going to touch the place of pain, even though we know it's true. It's not wrong to have an objection to God and to come from a place of hurt and to say, God, how can it be? And it's also not wrong to say, God, I don't know what to do with this, so I'm going to sit on the wall and wait until you tell me what to do with this. If I may, in a moment of personal privilege, talk about it in my own life, as I've experienced hard things, I think the application that Habakkuk would be for us What we must learn from Habakkuk is this for today. There's more from Habakkuk, and it's so good. It only gets better from here. Don't miss it. But when things get really bad, and you're in that place, God, did you just bless me just to take it away? God, how could you possibly be allowing this to happen, and even me and my sinful condition? I know this is not good. How can you be okay with this? sit on the wall because if you'll wait you will get an answer don't walk away not answer can be found by 5 p.m. every day but sit on the wall and in God's good time God will bring that message to you, that understanding to you. And you'll long for it more than watchmen long for the morning. But he will find you. But don't walk away. It's okay to complain. And you're not a bad Christian if you do. Grumbling? Yeah, don't be doing that. That's not a good thing to do. From a place of hurt, lament, questions, God, why? That's okay. And after you say it, sit on the wall and wait for God to answer. Because he will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. It's sufficient for every moment of our life. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are here today. Lord, some of them have thought about walking away and to not believe anymore because it just doesn't add up. Lord, I pray that maybe this message will cause them to take one step back in and just sit on the wall for a little while and wait and see what happens. Lord, some of us are already in the place of Jeremiah. We've come to terms with what you're doing. Some of us never get there. And that's okay. 
Both of these stories are in the Bible. But especially for my, my friends, some dear mamas in here with broken hearts, some daddies in here filled with regret, and sadness and loss, and they're thinking about walking away from all this stuff and stop believing. Lord, help them to take a seat on the wall and know that you hear them and it's okay to complain from a place of hurt. And Lord, some of them have been waiting on the wall a long time. Lord, I pray you would find them on swift wings and bring them the answer because they are longing for that answer on that wall more than watchmen long for the morning. It's in Christ's name. Amen.